0: strong
1: voices it's not just about one state it's not just about one community it's about all of our communities the issues that face indigenous peoples around the world
2: sit at the heart of the questions that we're asking about the future of our political
3: order i am here and now and i speak my language i practice my cultural essence of me What we do need is a more critical race consciousness in this country, a preparedness to talk about race, to talk about the way in which racialised logic is inscribed upon our bodies, and to critically examine them in order to change it. The government's changed, but we've got to be still here. We're always going to be still here. We've been here for 65,000 years, and I don't think we're going to go anywhere.
4: What the system still struggles with is this collaboration with First Nations people. A strong voice is an Aboriginal voice. Hello,
5: good morning, and welcome to another episode of Strong Voices. We're coming to you from the Karma Radio Studios here in the Red Centre on Orinda Country in Ubuntu, Alice Springs on Aiken 100.5. We're broadcasting right across the country on Fast Channel 911, and of course, coming to you via our website at karma.com.au and also the Karma app as well. Uh, today is the 6th of November 2019, it's the middle of the week, it's Wednesday. Uh, Great to have your company today. I'm your host, Kyle Dowling. You'll have my company all the way up until 12 o'clock today. We're coming up on Strong Voices. There still seems to be some confusion around uh, particularly the voice aspect of the Uluru Statement from the Heart, despite the statement coming out back in 2017. So today we're going to be revisiting a uh, conversation with uh, Thomas Mayer, who explained the Uluru Statement from the Heart uh, a year after it was released back in 2007. Uh, 2017. Sorry, Uh, we're also going to be hearing from the Federal Minister of Aboriginal Affairs, Ken Wyatt, who's currently in Central Australia, and he responded to some questions around aspects of the Uluru Statement from the Heart and the different process that is going on now in regards to the uh, Voice to the Government. Also, we're going to be uh, today is going to be marking uh, traditional dance. Sorry, today traditional dancing and celebrations will mark uh, the handback of uh, Amaro Station land to the Aliyawa people. Uh, and today we're going to be hearing from traditional owner uh, Nigel Morton, who's going to be sharing his uh, thoughts on that handback here on Strong Voices. Before all of that, though, we are going to go to a track and then we'll be right back with our first story.
4: What's up? You're listening to Strong Voices on Cam Radio.
5: <laughs> yes, you're listening to Strong Voices on Cam Radio. We're going to head into our first story now. Uh, On the 26th of May 2017, 300 Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander leaders signed a proposal for constitutional reform to establish a constitutionally enshrined First Nations representative body to advise Parliament on policy affecting the First Nations. The Uluru Statement from the Heart also uh, committed Australia to a process of truth-telling of its colonial history through the establishment of a Makarata Commission In May 2018, Thomas Mayer, the man entrusted to carry the sacred canvas of the Uluru Statement from the heart on an 18-month journey across the country, rejected the coalition government's ongoing rejection of the Uluru Statement from the heart.
1: The significance of the Uluru Statement from the heart, it's a statement from the heart of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples about their wants and their wishes and their desires for the future and for their children's future. The rejection by the Turnbull government was uh, not what was expected. This has been a, a very long and a thorough process by Aboriginal people. It had been something that had taken a long time to come together and to put that message down into that Uluru statement. The flippant off-hand rejection by the Turnbull government that the Uluru statement from the heart was not what they'd asked for missed the message, totally.
6: Absolutely it missed the message and that's, that's a really good point to start off with, that we said that these are the things that we want after a very well informed and thorough process that accurately recorded what people wanted in 13 regions of the country that elected delegates to come together at Uluru and to say that we did not give the answer that they wanted to hear is an absolute disrespect to the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people who deserved so much more than that.
1: The discussion around constitutional recognition was always going to be difficult. 200 years of white rule within this country and the marginalisation of Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples had set the scene for the difficulties ahead. Even engaging in this process though, it wasn't as if they didn't understand what Aboriginal people have been asking for, it just wasn't what they wanted.
6: Yeah, and the Uluru Statement isn't unique either. There are many documents like it over a long period of time where our people have put our hopes and aspirations for big picture reform. The Yolnu Bark Petitions, the Barunga Statement, the Larrakia Petition to the Queen. There are there are many instances of our people coming together and saying, we want a voice or we want treaty. And we want reparations and, and a settlement about um, the dispossession that we've suffered from. And The difference, I think, this time is though this comes from a real national consensus. The Uluru Statement at Uluru was endorsed with standing acclamation, and I saw... Our mob that had been in passionate debate against each other through the process, embracing each other, holding each other with tears flowing from their eyes. It was such a moment of hope. It was a national consensus. And therefore, this one cannot sit in a museum or in Parliament. It will not go and gather dust until it achieves what it calls for.
1: Again, the government's response and reaction by merely saying that a third tier of parliament wouldn't work and uh, for that reason there was no hope of achieving success at a referendum. It wasn't about that though.
6: No, not at all. In fact, there were three barriers put up by Malcolm Turnbull and all of them are easily gotten over. The third chamber to parliament comment, we've said right from the beginning, as soon as this statement came out, that that is not what we're seeking. We're seeking for First Nations to be able to have their own representation coming together and to be able to give advice that is unapologetic yet accurate to what the people need in the communities because those representatives will come from the communities. So that's an easy one to get over. The other one he said was that this was not in line with how our democracy works, you know, this minority representative group. And that's not true either. We've got lots of instances of representative bodies of minority groups. The Prime Minister himself has a hand-picked Indigenous Advisory Council And so that's precedent there in in his own hand-picked little group to advise him about Indigenous affairs. And then lastly, he said that it wasn't able to be supported by the Australian people. And I have travelled with this Uluru Statement for the last 10 months and I have seen absolute support everywhere I go, Aboriginal communities and non-Indigenous communities. They get it. It's It's a practical and reasonable proposal. And also there has been two polls that have indicated that a a majority of Australians would already support a voice to Parliament. Now that's without his leadership as a Prime Minister, that is without leadership in Parliament and that's without a resource campaign. This is very doable. The Uluru Statement talks about our structural powerlessness, the torment of our powerlessness being the high incarceration rates. It puts it in very poetic and powerful words. The statement ultimately calls for three things and that's a voice, treaty and truth. The voice I've spoken about constitutionally enshrined so that is to protect it because we have the experience of ATSIC. We've had the experience of of other representative bodies that have either been defunded or repealed and legislation crossed out by the likes of John Howard. So this time we must put it in the rule book of the nation. The other things, the uh, truth telling, in all of the 13 dialogues leading up to Uluru, a great, great many of our people said we must have the truth told about our history and also about our present situation. The last part, treaty or agreement making, those two things, truth and treaty, through a makarata commission, a makarata being a Yolnu word, meaning the coming together after a struggle. It seeks to put some structure, some strength behind those processes so that they can be achieved in an effective way. From Uluru we didn't say we want treaty and that was it we said how do we get to treaty we need a voice to empower treaty making on the national basis because the commonwealth has powers that the states don't have also to ensure that the commitments that might come out of treaties between a first nation and the government are adhered to because the international experience is that treaties are breached you know they're broken and so we need that strong that strong national voice Uh, the makarata commission would organise, ensure, well-resourced, ensure that the outcomes of truth-telling penetrates through the community and delivers on what we want. And that's for Australians to understand our real history.
1: When we look at the thousands of years of knowledge of law and society that has been passed down through the generations to those who participated in the Uluru Statement from the heart, again, It's extremely disrespectful for a power that's been there for 200 years in this country to disregard the wisdom and the knowledge of thousands of years.
6: It's extremely disrespectful the way this was handled. The response from Malcolm Turnbull did not even consult with his Indigenous Advisory Council. Um, They did not do a press release until after it had leaked, what their decision was, extremely disrespectful. People poured their hearts and souls into this. Those people, a lot of them have been warriors in our struggle for a long, long time. And the way that it was dismissed, this national consensus endorsed with standing acclamation and tears of hope, is an absolute disgrace. And it can't go um, unpunished, in my view. And we need to remember that at the ballot.
1: Again, for those who weren't aware of the process, it brought together some of the country's top Aboriginal and Islander legal minds, lawmen, all the way through that there were the right people there from both sides of society and culture who understood. And then the message from the uh, Federal Minister for Indigenous Affairs, it's not what we asked for. Again, I find it difficult to understand that some of the top legal minds didn't understand a directive.
6: It's just incredible, isn't it? I mean, when you sum it up like that, it just says so much about this government and the current political situation. It says so much more about why we need this structured voice to ensure that we're grabbing them by the ear and they're forced to listen to us. If we have representation coming from our First Nations regularly in a resourced way to give informed views on the decisions made about us and also to have some powers of self-determination, a power to monitor the race power for example I mean that would be so powerful our people and it's the only way way that we're going to close the gap is to have that structural reform that we need.
1: Aboriginal people don't have to sell it, it's how to get the community engaged in the process of ensuring that government takes it seriously.
6: That's right. We're not waiting for the government. We're campaigning. I'm travelling with the Uluru Statement everywhere, building this support. On Saturday this week, I'm going to be going to Turnbull's electorate and with a great crowd of volunteers and uh, several of the people from uh, Kalkaringi, Guringi mob, we're going to go door-knocking and talking to people in his electorate. Megan Davis is in Cairns right now. We're running a design dialogue uh, with the traditional owners up there. We're not waiting. We're going to go and ask our mob, how would you like to have this voice designed? And then that will feed into the public discourse and, um, and make it even harder for them to reject because we're going to do that work.
1: This ongoing journey of uh, taking the statement around the country... Uh, presenting it to the wider public so they can see it is reality i mean it is something that was a, a long process something that did involve thousands of years of culture and knowledge has come together and in that statement and as you said before there have been others but this particular one aboriginal and torres strait islander peoples thought they had something that government would take seriously
6: that was carefully thought through during the dialogues. The, each of the dialogues, the 13 dialogues, were of three days and they had a lot of information about what our constitution is, how it works, the history of our struggle. And it included a lot of discussion and workshops on expert panel recommendations, you know, those other things that we've put up uh, more recently. And we considered also why did those things not. Get implemented, you know did they not have the political legs? We also looked at whether they those asks through the expert panel were we're really going to empower us So, an example is the uh the change to the race power to change the race power from race to indigenous so that laws can be made about us and that doesn't change anything really discriminatory laws can still come out of that um the racial discrimination clause that was proposed you know um again it was thought about in that this while it would be great to um, outlaw um, or have a constitutional um, section that stops discrimination, you would still need to wait for the right case to run in the High Court, which would take time, which would take money. And even with the, the horrible legislation around the intervention, you still wouldn't be certain on if you would get an outcome that would stop discrimination against our people. So people started to lean to A voice that was strong and powerful and representative that could affect the politicians to the point where they would start to get some things right because they'd be forced to listen to us.
1: The process of uh, constitutional recognition, one must question the honesty of government. It was a long, long drawn out process. There were constitutional committees set up often many non-indigenous people Mm. who were calling the shots and then right at the last minute almost they said oh well we we better include some of the mob in this and then they went out and uh, very quickly in the big scale of the process started asking aboriginal people what they wanted Surely it should have been the other way around.
6: Yes, they should have asked us at the beginning, absolutely. And the fact that there was this long campaign and resources put it into recognition, you know, or making people aware that there's a, a need for recognition of our people, um, that has damaged it somewhat. You know, so there's a lot of us that, um, you know, mistrust, you know, or, or don't trust um, the call to change the constitution. But we rejected, we rejected symbolic recognition, you know, the, the sort of thing they were talking about before they asked us. Absolutely rejected that and said we want sub- substantive recognition in the constitution and that is what the voice is it is to empower our voice not to just put some nice words in there that makes an unindigenous population feel good about themselves
1: where to from here you've already said you're traveling round the country but have you given is there some time scale some period that you hope to have enough voice of the wider public to say now is the time to go with this?
6: Yeah, so right now there is a joint select committee that is looking into this that is to um, give an interim report in July and then a final report in November. So I hope the listeners um, can think about looking that up and making a submission. You know, the organisations, the even individuals can do this. Um, you know, send something to that Joint Select Committee to say, I absolutely support what came out of Uluru and there are no new goals Um, Our people or the Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander people have set this as the change that we want um, and we support that. And the committee should find the recommendations that get over those barriers that have been put up by Turnbull. Um, We also just need to build the people's movement. Um, We we can't stop uh, building this movement. 67 was the last referendum that was won. Um, that had a people's movement behind it. We need a majority of Australians in a majority of the states uh, to support this. It's a high bar, but if we, do not seek, if we do not change the constitution to enshrine this, we'll just see it this go the same way as ATSIC did. That might be 10 or 15 years from now, but we have to go for that harder task, and that is to enshrine this so it lasts.
1: Do you think a change in government will help the process? Um, we've already seen where the coalition government would like it to go, and that's obviously not very far.
6: Absolutely. When you've got a government with Malcolm Turnbull in charge who has treated this so disrespectfully, a change of government uh, will be very helpful. But that does not mean that we do not continue to work on, see- on gaining bipartisan support. Turnbull has failed um, he has failed to grasp the, the gravity of this constitutional moment that came out of Uluru. He's failed to understand what Australian people want, and that is for um, our our issues to be resolved and for our people to have a voice. So a change of government, a change of leader, absolutely, it's needed. But we still need the coalition to come on board eventually and to support this. There's a number of ways to follow the campaign and to contribute. Um, There's also um, a website, so it's www.onevoiceuluru.org. Um, There's a Facebook page called Voice Treaty Truth. Uh, If you just search that, you'll find it. And uh, Twitter is at Voice Makarata. I encourage people to share as many things that they see about the Uluru Statement so people are better informed and aware. I encourage people to post on Facebook that you support the Uluru Statement and hashtag Uluru Statement.
1: On that note, uh, Thomas Mayer, Many thanks uh, for sharing the journey of the Uluru Statement from the heart and I'm sure uh, people across the country uh, will continue to hope and and wait for a reality of finally being uh, able to have a voice in this country but more importantly uh, being able to be heard and that's something that uh, has been missing for such a long time. Thank
6: you Paul and thanks to the Karma listeners.
5: That interview with uh, Thomas Mann was recorded in May 2018, one year after the creation of the Uluru Statement from the Heart, and he was speaking with Karma's Paul Wiles. We're going to head to a break now, and then we'll be right back with our next interview.
6: You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio.
5: The Federal Minister for Aboriginal Affairs, Ken Wyatt, is... Uh, has been visiting Central Australia He's here in the Northern Territory. He's going to be uh, attending ceremonies to recognise the return of Aranda cultural material to Alice Springs, as well as the handback of uh, 31 square kilometres of land at Amaru Station. He's also going to be uh, attending a roundtable meeting of the Darwin Suicide Prevention Trial Steering Committee, and also the Aboriginal Economic Development Forum in Darwin as well. But uh, during his time in uh, Alice Springs, uh, Karma's Damien Williams had an opportunity to sit down with the minister and discuss a range of topics, including the uh, including aspects of the Uluru Statement from the Heart.
0: Minister White, welcome back to Carm Radio. It's great to be back with you. Now, first off, um, we just wanted to talk to you a bit about... The Uluru Statement um, proposes three key elements for uh, sequ- sequential reform. Voice, Treaty, Truth. The first and most significant of these is the voice, the proposal for a First Nations voice to Parliament enshrined in the Constitution. Now, the message in the statement is very clear. Why, why does it keep getting watered down?
2: Well, partly, in in one sense, the voice isn't defined. And when I've been out to communities, communities say to me, listen to our voices, because nobody's listening to us. And so that's why I've taken the step of commissioning a group to do some work for me in finalising what will the voice look like. I want to know what a a community voice looks like, then a regional voice and a national voice. Being enshrined in the Constitution, government has said it won't be. So I am working in those parameters. If we achieve a successful outcome, <clears throat> then who knows what the discussion will be next. So we just... We have to be pragmatic. We have to achieve what we've got within a set of parameters. But the bottom line for me is community voices.
0: And, and, and one of the other things... Um with treaty negotiations in full flight in Victoria and also progressing in the Northern Territory. Do you see state and territory enshrined treaties as the only option? I think
2: think in the first instance, let's let the states and the territories do their work around treaty. Because most of those treaties are focused on land agreements and land use. In my own state, Colin Barnett, negotiated with the Nyungar community, which is the southern part of WA, from Esperance to Perth, uh, slightly north of Perth, to have a land agreement with Nyungar people. But there was also a $10 billion commitment over 10 years, so it allowed for economic development. And that agreement, in a sense, is a treaty. The Yamaji agreement is now being done by the WA government. Northern Territory have started the process. Uh, Queensland Minister Jackie Trad shared with me her thinking before she made the announcement of treaty around land issues and then of course we've got the Victorian uh, Treaty Commission and then we'll see other states look at the issues as it relates to them but I, I think we will get a strong agreement at the state and territory levels for beneficial use of land but the opportunity to have economic empowerment plus cultural context still prevailing strongly.
0: And are there, like, other little um, parts of treaties that people are looking at that can be put into those treaties? I think
2: in the long term they will, Uh, but the two in WA have certainly focused on the aspirations of the Noongar people in terms of their place, their economic opportunities, but also for facilities like aged care. Uh, so that's part of the mix. So they'll achieve what they want.
0: Mm. And now a part of the uh, truth, apart from changing education curriculums, um, what other means of truth-telling could be used? Well, I, I
2: like what they did at Mile Creek, where the massacre happened, where Indigenous and non-Indigenous communities have worked to tell the truth of... In a sense, that town, that region. And then, of course, that monument being built by local government. That's a recognition that the massacre did happen. With that will also be other discussions. So my leaning, and this is just a personal leaning, would be to have truth-telling developed locally. If we do it nationally, we'll only focus on the national issues. Mm. It's better, and I I think of where my mother Grew up at Roland's mission. It would be good to have truth telling about Roland's mission, so it's understood what the mission was like. Those who benefited, those who had a tough time. Um, So I'm exploring some options that we can seriously consider.
0: Do you think uh, you know, uh, like how some places have already done uh, dual naming places, or you know, um, yeah, putting the Aboriginal name. up there with the English, European names?
2: Well, that's part of it, because truth-telling is our original names for locations and then the names that were adopted later after settlement. And we've got examples of that all over the place, but we've also had, and I'm sure this is every state and territory, where Aboriginal words were used as the name of a country town. So... It's a principal name in that mm. sense. And I think place places in WA that got the that has the word up on the end of it, meeting place, water. Mm. So Nanup, Up, They're Aboriginal names, so they exist.
0: Yeah, uh, yeah. It's just it's, it's cool to see some of the names being recognised as well, and, and you know, seeing the origins. Uh, and just uh, wanted to ask First Nations water rights on the Murray Darling rivers and nationwide, what sort of things have been put in place to to be able to give Aboriginal people access to those water sources?
2: Let me say, Minister David Littleproud, in a discussion I had with him recently, acknowledged the importance of Indigenous people having access to their share of water for both cultural purposes and for commercial use. And so on the Murray-Darling River River, uh, area, there is Aboriginal representation now on the overarching body, but the groups have been talking to government about water rights. Now the native native title holders are equally having similar discussions, so they'll be in a position to use their water rights to negotiate uh, the sale of their water, should there be a mining venture, for example, but at the same time ensuring that their water supply is protected for
0: the long term. And would that mean as well, um, if they choose to to just let it flow, will that water still be able to just be let flow?
2: Well, if they want to let it flow, they can. That's an option. Hmm. But I I think each will have unique arrangements over a period of time. We've grown into an economic model of doing business. Uh, We're thinking differently to being passive in the past to where... I see native title holders now looking at where's our opportunities for our children and our future.
0: Um, And just finally, Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander Media continues to be funded by your department. Nationally the sector is grossly underfunded. Should it come under the Department of Communications to achieve a real equity? Well, when you are
2: got luxurious studios like this, why would you want extra money? <laughs> no, <clears throat> I want to look at options that are real and tangible because Aboriginal media, including Torres Strait Islander uh, sources, are important in the way in which our communities hear information about what government is doing, what's happening within sport, because some communities have members, family members, playing in some of those teams but more importantly, information about this nation and about the world uh, and to hear our stories and our culture. So I will be working with Minister Fletcher over a period of time to look at what are the opportunities for consolidating, but also uh, what other injections need to be considered because I'm, I had shared with me when I was up at Yarrabah Uh, that some of the towers within the Cairns region need some work done to them because they are ageing stock. So I'll do some listening and certainly uh, when I'm out and around I'll make sure that I'm available to Aboriginal media but at the same time I'll have a yarn about what's needed.
0: And just wanted to say thanks for uh, your department getting involved to um, put a stop to the... Uh, Territory Labour trying to introduce new laws and fees around the burial of people out, out in the bush. And, yeah, just wanted to say thanks for that.
2: No, I certainly wrote to the Chief Minister and he, he has responded favourably to uh, his community of the Northern Territory. So I want to acknowledge uh, his reversal of that decision. It was a good outcome.
0: On that note, uh, Minister Wyatt, thanks very much for talking to us here on Calm Radio.
2: I always enjoy coming here because I end up with a husky voice. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you.
5: Yes, that was uh, the Federal Minister of Aboriginal Affairs, Ken White, speaking with Karma's Damien Williams. Uh, recently I had an opportunity to sit down and speak with the uh, Northern Territory First Nations Labor Senator uh, Malandira McCarthy to discuss a bit about the recent, pro- uh, the recent process going through with the voice uh, that uh, Ken White is leading. Uh, here's some of what she had to say.
4: Labor's always very firm in terms of our commitment to wanting to see a voice to the Parliament enshrined in the Constitution, what this process is that Minister White has announced is about a voice to the government. So they're very separate things, but we respect the fact that uh, you have uh, Professor Langton and Professor Kalmer. Uh, involved, because we also know that Professor Langton also supports having a voice enshrined in the constitution. And Labor views this, even though it's disappointing, the government's position, Labor views this as, well, if this is an opportunity for us to keep encouraging and influencing and talking strongly on having a voice enshrined, then that's what we are going to do.
5: So is it safe to sort of say that this does have bipartisan support then?
4: It certainly has support in terms of uh, assisting the Minister to try and find or navigate a way forward. Uh, what Where we differ is that we do want enshrinement, and at this particular point in time, the Minister is working towards a voice to the government, uh, not to the Parliament or enshrined. But hey, it's a start, and let's see, we're pretty optimistic.
5: Do, do you think... It's a bit of a blow for some people, obviously. Absolutely,
4: an absolute blow. Uh, For the people who came together at Uluru in 2017, uh, this is enormously frustrating, deeply disappointing, and we sense and feel that loss. But we also acknowledge as Labor that whilst we're very firmly committed to enshrining a voice in the Constitution, we're not in government And what we have to do is make sure the door remains open to keep walking this journey. The last thing we want to see is that it's extinguished completely off the page in the political uh, realms of parliament.
5: Do you think the Australian public is sort of ready to to move forward in that process? You know, we saw with the Uluru, uh, while there was some division, that we've we've seen that the uh, you know the culture of the Anangu people was respected.
4: You're Absolutely. Sort of
5: close. Do you think that progress is being made in that area?
4: I think the Australian people get it. The Australian people get it, they know it, and they're looking at this government and thinking, hey guys, when are you going to catch up? When are you going to catch up with the rest of the country? I think everyone who uh, believes in decency, in respect, in a better future for black and white Australians in this country can see that the call for a voice enshrined in the Constitution is important. And I think that uh, everyone's really just watching and waiting to see when uh, the Prime Minister is going to wake up and see that, hey, he can actually do something about it and he can do something about it now.
5: And just lastly, just on that, we, we have seen, um, of course, there is going to always be that differences of opinion. We have seen um, Andrew Bolt saying that, you know, this is obviously a, another way in terms of causing division. What what, what do you say to those people that, you know, it's sort of singling out and causing division in that way?
4: Well, I'd like to see where Mr Bolt has actually helped bring about people together. I think that kind of commentary uh, really fails to understand uh, the importance and the significance of uh, where people have come from in this journey over the last two years uh, in relation to calling for a voice to the parliament. Uh, The fact that uh, people want to feel empowered, to feel that they're being heard, I I don't see how that could be such a bad thing. Uh, I'd I'd just urge, uh, you know, commentators to to actually listen to the people out on the ground who are going to tell them.
5: That was uh, Northern Territory Labor Senator Malindu McCarthy there. We're going to go to a break now and then we'll be right back with our next story. You're listening to Strong Voices on Karma Radio. Yeah, great to have your company this uh, Wednesday morning here on Strong Voices well, our traditional owners in the Sandoval region of the Northern Territory are going to be joined by the Federal Minister for Indigenous Affairs, Ken White, today to celebrate the return of uh, pastoral lease land, uh, 31 square kilometres of land at uh, Amaru Station. Around 325 kilometres northeast of Alice Springs, where we return to the Aliwalda people uh, today, the Central Land Council negotiated for the block to be exercised from the station and scheduled as inalienable freehold title under the Aboriginal Land Rights Act. Uh, ahead of the celebrations today, I had an opportunity to speak with traditional owner uh, Nigel Morton this morning. Nigel, it's great to be uh, speaking to you here on Cam Radio. Thank you. week. Well, it's a very exciting time today, isn't it? Uh, with, with a very uh, exciting announcement coming back in, in regards to the uh, land handback. W- what's the feeling of the mob there? How's everyone feeling about it? They're very excited.
3: Yeah, just um, yeah, just from back in, and I've not seen my elders here. I have to go see them, and I just hearing from it before I left. Yeah, Um most the older ones, you know, I'm pretty excited and. Thinking about what's what happened in the past and it took so long, but at the moment now, everybody's really good and and really happy about you know getting the, the block
5: back. Yeah, because it's it is is it sort of a you know a, a happy sad thing as well. Because like you were saying, it does take a a really long time to get this stuff going, doesn't it?
3: Yeah, the saddest part is, um, especially our elders, you know, who our, are our fathers, so wanted that thing to happen during their time, but it took so long and. Most of them passed, so it's only the Arang Pulas and brothers now, the sons, who took on just uh, the saddest part. And as
5: a as a traditional owner, talk to us about the significance of a decision like this. What does it mean for the mob?
3: Well, the significance of where the block was or uh, how the title was given back to us is so significant to us through a um, strong line, and we, the I mean, and the red kangaroo the Arang people. Arang means the red kangaroo, and it's where the, the land was um, given back to us is all that significant to us as the um people people. Another thing is um it's where we do, do our tribal laws and, and um especially especially going back um in the old days, um before we had funerals in Bling that's where we use um our burial grounds tribal burial grounds too.
5: Oh, so it's a very significant piece of country, then.
3: Yeah, it is very significant.
5: Okay, and, and, and in terms of the connection to country, though, you know, in terms of the impact it has on people, do do you see it as where you know, being able to be connected to country does actually impact people's well being? You know, they're they're happier, they're healthier.
3: Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it is. At the time camp, uh, um, we use it as um, think well, a the cemetery there now for some of our families and and it's time and it's really healthier than how people have access sometimes because sometimes but it's pretty close to could deal with um, the pastoral you, know, you know at least the family who belong at least around Amber Amaro station they've been family that lived a long time before my time and they've lived with my grandfathers and fathers and good connection was there and still is you know we have access to where a tribal significance or or sacred sites sir. and if he does something that's not right he, he need to talk to us and
5: he, he does. You know, sometimes we hear you know, in, in the past we've heard, you know, the, the conversations about concerns from, you know, Aboriginal people getting native title or, or freehold they're getting concerns sort of going to take their land but th- th- this is a, a really good one in terms of, you know, showing that it, it isn't like that they can work together, hey? Eh? Yeah,
3: we can work together and, you know, to be truthful, um, the land is ours, you know. It's been always ours, you know. And um, I think they should um learn to say how oh, They should be do that. But you know, we have we have the rights of non-First Nation people to this land. We have proof to that. Talk to
5: us about what's what's going to be happening today. I understand there's going to be uh, obviously celebrations in terms of the handback. Is I understand there's going to be sort of dances and stuff happening as well.
3: Yeah, dances Dances um, of column and... I think the ladies were away, dancing, and um, and I'm talking to the minister himself and, you know, bringing our stuff, uh, especially for the, not only for us the Aran people, but the whole Ayawada area, you know? We're the biggest tribe in the Barclay. We would say the biggest in the territory, we're the biggest tribe.
5: Uh, and you're very excited for the day?
3: Yeah, I yeah. am. <laughs> I met him once and I like to you know, but just met him and never had conversations, but today I'd like to have conversation with him and put, put our stuff in. I'm not going forward as, as an Indigenous person, too. And showing so, you know, that all of us are Indigenous. We hold, still hold our tribe away, the in some lines.
5: Well, definitely a, a very exciting day ahead. Uh, uh, Nigel, congratulations. You know, it it can't be easy, you know, over the years, you know, having to keep fighting and fighting, but it's great to finally see it come through.
3: That's the thing I just want to have. That's what, um, really said my heart is just all uh, people you know go on now and here to see this day but appreciate what they've done to and to remember them at this time
5: yeah that was uh, Nigel Morton there uh, that's going to conclude strong voices uh, for this uh, Wednesday morning. thank you so much for tuning in if you miss any of the stories from throughout the week Uh, Make sure you head to the Karma website. That's uh, www.karma.com.au for those stories up there. Uh, And if you want to listen back to the programs, uh, I'll be posting our podcasts of the show as well up on uh, Karma's SoundCloud. Make sure you also check out our social media, our Facebook and Twitter as well. We've got a range of stories on there as well as uh, other stuff from the uh, Karma online news as well. Uh, We'll be back the same time tomorrow from uh, 11 till 12. Make sure you stay safe and enjoy the rest of your
3: Wednesday. Strong voices Richard your